Avalara proudly sponsors this podcast series about accountants by accountants and featuring some of the best thought leaders in the industry. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Learn more at avalara.com. Hey everyone, this is Laura Lynn and you're listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. More accountants than ever are experimenting and shaping our profession in new and interesting ways. On this show, I sit down with these rock stars to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, the struggles, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Accountants can earn free CPE credit from listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app in the App Store or visit EarmarkCPE.com. Hello, everyone. I am Lauren Wilson and the host of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. Yeehaw! I haven't done that intro before. So, on this week's episode, our special guest is Yvonne Scott of CIO Concierge, and I ripped this directly from her LinkedIn page. She is a business and technology senior executive and coach focus on helping others amplify and accelerate the impact of technology on their business results. And the offerings often include, and this is a pretty comprehensive list. And as as I was reading this earlier, I thought it might be fun to do some role playing, like she could coach me a little bit. But she does executive coaching, personal and functional branding, strategic planning, technology adoption, presentation, preparation, negotiation. So a a huge range of services. And we'll get into a little more kind of who her ideal client is, how she services most of them, especially in regards to our industry. So I'm very excited to talk to her about all this. So welcome, Yvonne. Thank you, Laura Lynn. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. So like reading through all your stuff, it kind of seems like you are on the very front of the train when it comes to like this intersection of like accounting and technology and how you use that internally and externally? Like, would you say that's kind of accurate or how do you kind of view yourself in this industry? Yeah, I think I think that that's accurate. I think the fact that I am a CPA mm-hmm. and uh, migrated from doing accounting related work to technology uh, has allowed me to have an understanding of how those two things intersect. And I've been in the industry for a long time and watching it evolve and change and uh, really looking for opportunities where technology can really change the industry. Yes. Yeah. And so how many years were you actually kind of doing? Because you started in audit, correct? Yes. Yes. So how many years were you? And it was IT audit, if I'm remembering. Yes. Yes. So when did you make that transition? How how long were you in the industry before you went kind of outside of the audits more into the IT? I was doing audit work for about, oh, 15 years, I'd say. Wow. 15 years of my career. Uh, and it was technology-focused audit. I did have other opportunities in financial audit and compliance auditing, but primarily in, in technology auditing. And it, it was at the very beginning of when that was uh, becoming yep. prevalent. Mm-hmm. And so um, it gave me an opportunity to really think about control environments and how 
technology as an example, uh, when you when you build controls into it up front, how that actually helps with um, you know ensuring that audit results and, and results are are uh, you know more solid, more sound. Yes, absolutely. So you went into accounting though right out of college. Like, what made you choose that profession? Well, it's kind of an interesting story. I actually didn't start out my college career thinking I was going to go into business at all. I was going into medicine and specifically in pharmacy. In specifically in pharmacy. And I just discovered that if I wasn't going to be able to become a medical doctor, which is really what I wanted to do, but, you know, at that time, the world was a different place and I didn't have the financial means to go to medical school. So um, I had an injury when I was in college and I needed to get, you know, leave school for a semester. And during that time, I got a job in an accounting department part time. And I just started to be very interested in how this all fit together. I met some very interesting people and um, I started doing some research and self-educating myself on accounting while I was working during that semester that I was away from school. And I discovered I really liked it. And I decided I wanted to go into business. And so at that time, you chose, do you want to focus on accounting, finance, economics? And I chose accounting. Oh, that's so funny. My, I actually, that same thing happened to me a little bit. So I'd actually graduated with a degree in poli-sci, kind of useless if you don't want to be an attorney. And so then after a couple of years out of school, I was like, okay, I need to do something that's you know, a little more stimulating than being an administrative assistant. Nothing wrong with being an administrative assistant, but it just gets very repetitive. And I was, I wanted more of a challenge. So I was looking at my different options. And law school was out of the question just because I hate reading case law. Constitutional law was the worst class I ever took. And so my dad's a doctor. So I was like, oh, I'll look at medicine. And the same thing when I was just looking at the funding requirements to go back to school, I was immediately no. So that was off the table very quickly. And then going going into accounting was like very minimal effort in, in terms of classes I would need to take and then money out of pocket. It ended up being like 12 grand total. Yeah. So I was like, accounting it is. And I had never taken one accounting course. Now, had you taken an accounting course before you did this like internship or work? No, I hadn't. I, you know, I really knew very little about it. Like I said, I went to a bookstore, I bought a book on basic accounting 101, and started teaching myself accounting. And because I was working with accountants, I started asking them questions and, you know, what, what careers look like in accounting. And it just, you know, fascinated me that um, you could help people financially. And I decided that that's what I wanted to embrace. And I just went all in on it then. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. And I was listening to another podcast you were on. I think it's called the Leadership Podcast. It was from 2017. I went to the archives. Yeah. And you told an interesting story about how at 24, you became head of an IT audit department at an oil company. So can you tell us that story? Sure. Well, I when I graduated from college, I uh, took a job as an IT auditor, which very few people were doing at that time. Um, enjoyed it. A, a lot, but then they started to promote me, and I did a stint in compliance auditing and one in financial auditing. And this opportunity came up to run this department, and then I was young; I was a female, 
Uh, the likelihood of me getting this job was very small, but I had um, a sponsor. I would call him a sponsor and an advocate, not my boss, but my boss's boss had taken wow. notice of me. And um, much to my surprise, they tapped me on the shoulder to do this job. Now, what I'll share with you, Laura Lynn, back then, that was, that was a huge leap of faith for that gentleman to make because he, he got tremendous pushback from his senior leadership. Why would you put a woman in this job, number one? Number two, a 24-year-old woman who's going to lead uh, men in their 40s and 50s primarily. Wow. Um, and he stuck with his, his, he said she's the right person for the job. And so, you know, I really credit a lot of my opportunity to him. And, you know, male advocates can make a huge difference in women's careers. Uh, he certainly did in mine. So um, that's how that kind of evolved. It was just heads down work. And I, you know, one of the things that I really was focused on is how to automate a lot of the things that we were doing, because I liked the intersection of technology with, and I had enough computer science classes in college to be able to do that. And mm -hmm. most of the people I was working with were at that time, middle-aged, they weren't familiar with it. And they kind of were skeptical about it. But when I was able to automate audit procedures using technology, it got their interest. And so yeah. then it's like, can you do more of that? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Because I'm like, if I'm being completely honest, if I was in a job, I'm 37 right now. And they're like, Laura Lynn, this 24-year-old is your new boss. I don't even know how I would take that, let alone being like a 40, 50-year-old. So how was how was that received for Not you? Well. <laughs> How long did it take for people to really like accept that? Well, um, I'll take a little side uh, story here for you. But um, my first day uh, after this was announced, I had four people come to me and tell me, it's not because you're a woman, but I don't want to work in this department anymore. I'd like a <gasps> transfer. And so I was, I was crestfallen. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, my parents had invited me over for dinner to celebrate the promotion. Mm -hmm. And my father said, Yvonne, you have to let people who don't want to be led by you go. And you need to build a team that does want to follow you. Now, most of them did leave. Some of them did not. But I started to build a team and I had to build trust and, and credibility with them. They were my colleagues. You know, I had worked with these ah. people for only a few years. And so they knew me, but it was, um, it was a big culture shock for them and for me. But it was a really important leadership lesson to me that, you know, when you're given an opportunity to do something and to make a difference, you have to get a team of people that want to go on that journey with you. Because if they don't, you can't, you know, just telling people they have to do things, their heart's not in it. It's not going to, it's the results aren't going to be where they need to be. So that was, that was really, you know, culturally the way things were back then. I mean, I even had a woman come to me and say, I don't, I'm not comfortable working for a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my gut reaction would be like, what? A 24 year old. But then once, once I saw their proficiency, and like, you know, once they showed me, hey, I can actually do this job. Well, then I feel like I'd be fine after that point. But like, I can't, 
I can't imagine what it would have been like for those people. So it's like, I understand. But then at the same time, it's also like, you know, that's a really tough position for you to be in. You know, it's like you're really thrust into that role. You know, it's not like you fought your way up there. You have this advocate who's like, she's the right person for the job. And you're like, okay. And then to have people on day one leave. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I would have been crying in the bathroom stall. <laughs> well, I didn't quite go there, but I, I was pretty crestfallen, as I said. And, you know, I went to my parents. And fortunately, my father was a great cheerleader and a wise man. And so, um, you know, I took his advice and took it in my stride. And, I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, he basically said, well, Yvonne, do you want to give your job back? I mean, do you want to go in and say tomorrow, I don't want this job because people don't want to work for me? Or do you want to embrace it and try to make the best of it? And I wanted to do the latter. I mean, let's face it. Anytime you get a big leap opportunity like that, which has happened more than once in my career, there is some self-doubt that comes into play that says, can I actually do this? I've never done this before. But, you know, what I learned very early on is you you just kind of have to you know dig deep into yourself and rely on you know your resources that you have to do the best that you can and if you do the best that you can that's all you can ask of yourself yeah right Mm -hmm. yes absolutely avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right Their sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you are a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs, including sales and use, VAT, and other direct and indirect taxes. Okay, so you were at that company again. This is from like me stalking your LinkedIn profile for 17 years. Is that correct? Yes. Give or take. And then you went to, was it called Crow? Am I saying that right? Well, actually, I was at the oil company for 10 years and then I went to a, a financial services company at oh. for 17 years. And then I, then I went to Crow. So I, okay. made a, I made a shift from the financial services company where I, was the CIO of their largest division and their first enterprise CIO. So we brought together six businesses, uh, analogy, and then I moved from there to Crow as their CIO. Okay. And then at Crow, you were also, I can't remember which one was it, you were vice president at one of them, correct? I was the senior vice president uh, and CIO at uh, the financial services company. Okay. All and, right. Well, my title was chief information officer. And was part of that service, that financial services company offering, it, it was kind of that, it was IT consult. Was it IT consulting with no. large companies or what, what type of work were they doing for clients? They um, were a business to business company. They're a Fortune 1000 company. They, they leased large ticket assets like rail cars, airplanes. Uh, aircraft engines. They also, they ran a steamship company. They had a logistics business. They had a uh, terminaling business for bulk liquids like oil. So they had, they were a very diverse company. They were a parent holding company of Got all it. businesses. 
And so um, as the enterprise CIO, I had divisional CIOs reporting to me. And prior to that, each division was completely separate. Each had their own CIO, and I was one of them. And then they just they wanted to have one. They wanted to have a consolidated IT organization. Got it. Okay, so you leave them, you go to Crow, and how long were you at Crow for? About fourteen years. Okay, and then so then though in twenty twenty one you started CIO Concierge. What prompted you to leave industry? Is that what we're calling it, private industry? To leave and start your own company and go on your own. Well, I just got to a point in my career where uh, I had been a CIO for over 20 years. It's a very demanding job. And um, I had decided that I didn't want to work 60, 70 hour work weeks every week. Um, And so I decided to retire from my primary career. I took a few months off, but that was in the middle of COVID. And Mm -hmm. so everything I had planned to do, travel, you know, those kinds of things really didn't come to fruition. So really how I started CIO Concierge is one of my industry contacts called me and said, would you be willing to do some webinars for our customers? And I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'd be interested in talking about it. And so long story short, they, we came to an agreement. I conducted a couple of webinars. Webinars. I wrote some articles for them to supply to their client base or pers- prospects. And um, so I started putting together a, um, a marketing deck, I guess, of what c- services could I offer remotely. And that's yeah. when I came up with CIO Concierge and decided, you know what, I'm going to work part-time. I don't do this full-time, but I work part-time. Um, in trying to take the the experience that I've had over all these years and the various roles that I've been in and help others achieve their, the goals that they want to achieve. And that's, that's the pinnacle of a career. It's no longer about you. It's, it's about being able to give back and, you know, help others propel their, their organizations or themselves personally. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it so a CIO? Is it just you or do you have any employees under you? It's just me. And um, it's not really restricted to CIOs. I started there because yeah. that's my area of expertise. But um, some of my clients have been chief operating officers or chief information security officers or chief financial officers, mostly C suite individuals. But I've now started working with some of their direct reports where if I've had a client, Perhaps I've been very helpful to them and they say, I look, I've got this protege that I'd like to sponsor and I think they would benefit from some coaching from you. So I have taken on those types of engagements as well. Oh, cool. So what would you say is your most popular engagement you do with people? Um, I don't know if I have a, a popular or favorite. Uh, both, both. What do people like to get the most and what do you like to give the most? (laughs) Well, I guess, um, what I do more than anything else is executive coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does that mean? Like specifically, what does that actually look like? Well, it looks different depending on the person. So, Mm -hmm. um, if an individual comes and says, you know what, I'm, I'm a brand, I want to be a CIO, but I'm not, you know, can you help? 
coach me on various situations of how I can increase my executive presence. So it can take the form of I've helped people put together a resume that they will then solicit CIO opportunities. Or it might be, you know, I'm a brand new CIO. I had um, a, a CIO of an $8 billion company. The, wow. His boss actually employed me to coach him. He knew his industry. Uh, he knew the technology. He just had never been a CIO before. It was a fairly short engagement, but it was really to allow him to bounce I, situations and ideas off of me and get the benefit of the experience that, that I've had. So uh -huh. it really is tailored to the individual in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. It, it might be, hey, I think I've got all the political stuff figured out. That That's not an issue for me, but I'm having a hard time getting my organization to adopt technology. Can you help me with an adoption plan? Or I'm having difficulty communicating to my organization. Can you help me with, with IT branding? How do, how do we make IT relevant in our in our businesses and how do we communicate more effectively? It could be something like that. Sometimes they're very tailored. What I found is it usually starts with with a small set of things that people are looking for and it just starts morphing into the next thing. Well, so I've mastered that. I now want to talk about this. Um, and so, um, you know, in some ways, it's also um, being a sounding board for someone right? Where they have ideas or they have concerns and they want to talk about, well, what's the best way for me to address this, right? Yeah. Well, um, I would say it's the most popular. Okay. I, it's probably also my favorite because they're interactive with people and I can see results immediately. So, I mean, when yeah. I help someone build an IT strategy, it's years, right, before it comes to, to fruition. And so um, this is something you can just watch someone progress over time. And, you know, there's been a couple of instances where I'm like, I don't really think I can help you anymore. I mean, we get together once a week, but there's not much to talk about anymore. Call me if you need me. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a really fun job in that it's there's a lot of variation to it. Which I love personally. Like I yes. hate doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um what? Okay. So one thing I listened to on the podcast you were on is you talked a lot about different leadership styles. Okay. So I want to talk about that. And so you mentioned six different leadership styles. Do you still, I don't know, this was like five years ago. Do you still, do you have them all in your mind? Do you know what they all are still? I don't know if I can tell you all five of them, but um, by, by their official name, but I'm familiar with them. You know, they go anywhere from an authoritative to a democratic type of, of leadership style. And there's, there's variations of it in between. And some of them are more effective given certain circumstances than others. Yes. So I have them pulled up because I have the show notes from that podcast. So there was, okay, so it, there was, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. So six different ones. So there was directive, coaching, visionary affiliative, participative, and pace setting. Yeah. And you had said that um, a leader knows which style to use for each person. So as a leader, you don't, you aren't necessarily one of these things. You need to be a combination of all of them. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. 
Mm -hmm. Because situationally, it's different, right? I mean, if you're in a situation where you have to get something done very quickly, right, and you don't have time to really do a lot of personal development of your team, right, you might need to be much more directive. Yep. Right? Yep. Then you might be in other situations where you want to draw people into it. Um, It might be a long-term thing where you're trying to... um, get buy-in from people so that as it progresses, they're not just doing things, they're doing things passionate about. Mm -hmm. Do you find that um, in general, like of the people you've worked with, do people lean toward or gravitate toward one particular style over others just naturally that they're really good at that one, but, you know, not as strong in the other ones? Have you noticed that at all? I think that's true. I mean, I think it's it's just like a communication style. Certain people, you know, they fall into what they're most comfortable with. That's their natural way of doing it. They, they, you know, good leaders will adjust as they start to read the situation and they understand that they need to change. So some individuals are not going to respond well to pace setting, as an example, where you're you know, constantly trying to up the ante, right? Um, and so it's it's one of those things that's like, there's just certain people that they find that so extremely stressful, they shut down. Doesn't mean not qualified or good contributors. It's just mm-hmm. the way you're directing them is not favorable for them. And I think that's why you see some people leave certain industries because they don't fit into the, the norm, right? Mm-hmm might coach them yeah yeah no i definitely have had bosses in the i mean that's why people don't leave jobs they leave managers or they leave bosses like i've had bosses in the past who were very directive where it was all just you know it was their way or the highway do this do this do this like and it was it created a very hostile work environment i guess is the best way i could put it like it just felt like there was no room to grow or ask questions or make mistakes. Right, right. Well, you know, some people, it depends on the job, right? Some people like to be told what to do, how to do it, and, you know, take no real responsibility for either of those decisions, right? Mm -hmm. I only get what they told me to do, how they told me to do it, and they're happy in that. I mean, you know, all of us are individuals. I personally am not a happy camper when I'm in that situation. Yeah. But, you know, I have had people work for me that I want them to be more visionary and they struggle with that. And when they can't be visionary, then they feel like they're failing. But that doesn't mean they can't contribute to a team in some other fashion. This gets back to the old, you know, saying, you know, you shouldn't try to put a square peg into a round hole. You should find a square, square hole for that square peg, right? So, you know, development of people has to be as much about them, what skills they're bringing, where they want to go, as it is about what you need. Mm -hmm. And those things have to to mesh. Mm -hmm. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for Accountants? The Avalara for Accountants automation platform helps accounting service providers of any size grow their service offerings with sales tax prep and filing, transfer pricing, 
research, business license management, and more. Scale your practice efficiently with award-winning automation that brings efficiency and accuracy to sales tax compliance. Want to learn more? Email accountants at avalara.com or visit avalara.com. Yeah. Now looking at these, it's funny. I'm like, I know the leadership style I'm most receptive to is coaching. And I know that's because I grew up as an athlete. So it's like, you know, they go, you go to your lesson, you go to your practice, they tell you what to do, and then you go on your own and you practice it. And then you come back and then same thing. And it's rinse and repeat, but it's this constant process of tell me what to do. I'm going to go practice it on my own. I'm going to come back. You tell me what adjustments to make. I'm going to go on my own, come back. So it's like, they're telling me what to do, but then there's also room to mess up, you know, yeah. as as I learn it. And so when I when I left the firm that had the directive style and went to the coaching style, like that's where I blossomed <laughs> because the he, he was my then boss, but then down the road became a business partner. So he was definitely like a coach through and through with some visionary splashed in there as well. But then after three or four years there, I became a partner. And that was actually, and since then sold my shares, but that was actually, we came into conflict some because I was very, when I read this, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Affiliative. Yeah. I'm very much like, and that's kind of like the teammate role where it's like, I'm the pitcher. I'm going to do my part. You, the second baseman, you do your part. And we're just going to each do our respective roles and support each other where we can. But it's like, it's a very level playing field. Right. And that, and he would always like, I don't want to say criticize, but give feedback where it's like, you're not, the, the team isn't getting enough from you. I'm like, but what do they need? Like, they know what to do and I'm here for them if they need me. But like, because I wasn't kind of that proactive checking in with them, seeing he was like, you're not, you're not doing enough. I'm like, what? I'm here. What do they have? What else do they need? So I felt a little attacked reading this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to the filling of style, okay, or yeah. coaching style or any of them for that matter. Like I said, there there are appropriate things. There are things that I'm more comfortable doing, but again, affiliative is a really about building a team, as you said. Yeah, right, and optimizing each team member accordingly, and you know, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, that might be the right way to go. But I, I don't think there's ever kind of this like hard line. I'm affiliative or I'm coaching or I'm reactive or whatever, pace setting. I think that the mixture of things, but I think most people have a dominant style. You know, it's one of those things where I would, I say to people, look, I'm one of these people that I'm going to throw you in the water, the analogy I use, and yeah. swim on your own. Fabulous. Right. If you start to struggle, I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is throw you a life raft, right? Yes. And help yes. you swim to that and we pull you in and that's the end of it. But if you're starting to go under, I'll jump in the water and get you. But that's the last thing I'm going to do. Right. Because my style is to let people, you know, be on their own and to develop and, and say, this is where I need help. Now, but I know there are people that can't tell me what they need. So you have to be observant and you have to be able to willingly jump in there and say, you know what, I'm going to save you from this. Yes. Um, and then you have to teach them how to swim. And yeah. so, but you go into it thinking, you told me you know how to swim. I trust you know how to swim. Go have at it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then this brings me to 
this idea that, all right, when we talk about leadership a lot of time, or at least like in our industry, the accounting industry, when we talk about it, it's leadership over employees. But I think what we don't talk about is leadership over clients, because that's also a thing. Like when when you said, you know, they don't know what questions to ask because they don't know what they need. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a problem with clients all the time. They don't know what they don't know. And they're looking to their quote unquote trusted advisor to guide them and tell them what they need. So what are your thoughts kind of around that leadership styles and interacting with clients? Well, I mean, clients um, generally come to you with a problem or they want some type of advice or what have you. I think, you know, questioning style is really important, particularly at the very front end. You know, what I find is that when I ask a lot of questions, a lot of times they haven't thought about it. Mm -hmm. They really haven't looked looked at the situation in that fashion and they have to think about it and say, well, I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, I'm not there to spoon feed them the answer because let's face it, I'm not in their world every single day, every minute. I don't know all the all the context that they know, but helping them unpack that and try to get to some of these answers is part of the coaching experience, mm-hmm. right? It's self, some of it's self-discovery. Yeah. Okay. And to your point, you don't always not know what you don't know. As a trusted advisor in the accounting industry, let's just use that, you know, Mm -hmm. as an example here, I think it's incumbent upon advisors to bring things to their clients' attention that they may not be seeing, right? Now, they may push back on you and say, that's not a problem or that doesn't apply here or what have you. I think there's a fine line between retreating immediately and saying, well, can we talk about that a little bit more? Uh, Because this is what I'm seeing. This is in my experience. When this happens, why generally follows, right? And so if you don't want why to happen, what's your plan? And if they don't have a plan, that's when you have an opportunity to to interject some, some advice, suggestions. And it's back to what you said, Laurelyn, you know, the co- the whole coaching thing. Try something. Try it, right? Maybe it's not on the, the most critical thing, but try it on something to see if that y- yields good results for you, mm-hmm. right? And you tweak yeah. it. Yes. Yep. You pivot, pivot, pivot as many times as you need to. <laughs> it's right. So I've been doing... A lot of sales call recently. So I have a lot of leads coming in. And what's so funny is I hear two reasons why people are setting up a call with me. It's always two different reasons for the most part. Number one, my accountant's retiring and I need to do one. And we're going to hear that more and more and more. So a lot of security in our industry. But then number two, the other thing I hear is my accountant never communicates with me. So it's like this is something our clients, our potential clients, keep asking for. They want us to talk to them. And I think in most instances are more than happy to pay for that service. But there's just this huge disconnect in CPAs or accounting um, accounting advisors understanding what their clients actually want for them. Like they, they more often than not, they don't want a P&L. That doesn't like that's a piece of paper. In eight years of doing accounting, I can count probably on two hands, and I work exclusively with small businesses. The number of times a client has asked me for a P&L because they want to look at it. 
That's not what they want. They want us to talk to them and tell them things and guide them along that journey and ask them those questions. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. I, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if you've ever heard this expression, but nobody really wants a drill. What they want is a hole. They will is the way to get to the hole, right? So it's all about what job needs to get done. And what you're hearing, I think, from your clients, and I hear from mine is, okay, he gave me a P&L. I don't know how to interpret it. What does it mean? Am I doing well? Am I not doing well? Where am I going to have a problem? And this is, gets back to, you know, the accounting industry historically is structured this way, right? We look at the past. We yep. look at the past. We try to you know, put everything in order. We like to confirm that everything followed the control. Um, you know, yes, that's how much revenue you had. We're all good there. But that's not really the question that people want to have answered. What they want to have answered is, is my revenue really reflective of my, the potential of my business? Mm-hmm. Or am I missing opportunities that I, that I should be thinking about? You know, is my... Uh, cost of goods sold in proportion to everybody else you're seeing. Because I don't see these other businesses. You do. You know, is my cost of goods sold 10% higher than everybody else? Maybe that's a good thing because I'm really all about quality and, you know, people pay me for that. But my if my margins don't reflect it, what does that mean? So there's all these kinds of questions that people really want to have answered. They're looking for accountants to bring their wide exposure and their knowledge to the table to say, hey, I think maybe this particular thing could be better. And, you know, really, I mean, this is something I've said for a long time. Audited financial statements are great. Okay. They tell, they tell stakeholders, yep, this business did this. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't tell a banker, is this business going to thrive enough to pay back this loan that they took out for five years? I mean, that's really what the bank wants to know, right? They don't want to know how much last year. They want to know, are you going to make money next year? Are you going to pay back this loan I'm giving you? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yes. So one of the companies I own, we only do financial forecasting. And what we do in the very first meeting, before we talk about numbers, revenue streams, COGS, any of that is we say, what's your enterprise value? Meaning, what are you trying to get to? What is your end goal? Because that is going to dictate everything we do in this forecast. And it's like, accountants aren't asking their clients that. Like if a person comes to me saying, I want to pay less in taxes. If you don't ask them, well, what are you actually trying to do? Are you trying to keep more money in your pocket? Which usually that's the answer. Well, guess what? It might be cheaper to pay the taxes. That's what you're trying to do. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't, you have to, but see what, what you can offer your clients is the opportunity to ask them those questions. And I'm guessing sometimes they go, I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. heard I'm paying too much in taxes. Yep. Right. Well, okay. And again, it's back to, well, what are you trying to accomplish? If you pay me $100,000, totally making that up, to say $5,000 in taxes, it's not a good deal. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always said to technology people who are trying to get projects uh, approved, I have not met the CFO yet 
that will say, if I give you ten dollars, if I if you give me ten dollars, I'll give you twenty back. They'll say, no, I'm not interested. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think there's and you do you know Jeannie Whitehouse? No, the name sounds familiar, but I don't know her. Yeah, she's so she has a program called the Impactful Advisor. She's a CPA out of um, the Sonoma area down in California, works with wineries. But she's been preaching this same idea for years, being like, you need to, as accountants, learn to, you need to learn how to communicate with your clients, ask questions so you can be an impactful advisor. Like they want your help. But the reason why we're not helping them is because we are not trained and have not taken the time to learn how to actually communicate with the people who want our services. (laughs) Well, you know, what I'll say is, um, and I'm speaking from my own experience, I'm, I'm naturally an introvert. Okay. Same. And our industry attracts a lot of introverted people. So, you know, their strongest skill generally isn't communication or engaging with people or those kinds of things. They tend to quietly do what they want, they need to do, and then move on, right? And I think in the accounting industry in general, it's been set up this way. It's no one's fault. And it's not meant to be a criticism of the people who do the work, but it's been set up in a way. It's like you do, you do these things and you produce a product. You produce an audit report, you produce a tax return, you do those things, and that's what the scope of work looks like. And the reality is those are just, they're tangible things, but they are commodities. Yep. Anyone with the right education and skills can produce an finance, audited financial statement or a tax return. It's the person, that, I think accountants need to start thinking about themselves as more than accountants. And yeah. they really need to think of themselves as business advisors that happen to specialize in financial matters. And, you know, just like, you know, if you're a coach and you, you specialize in, a, in branding or whatever it is that you're, you're focused on. But I think too often accountants think more about, I'm an accountant. Yep. Yes. And so I'm on TikTok and I spend a lot of time debunking videos on TikTok. There's a lot of really bad, bad information out there. And what's so frustrating to me is these videos I'm debunking have hundreds of thousands of views, hundreds of thousands of likes. People are hungry for financial information. People seek it out. Like when I really blew up was last year in January because right, you know, tax season and I'm talking about tax stuff. People are actively searching for this and you have the answers, accountants. Like, you know what's right. Like I was right before this, I was doing, a, I have a paid community group for micro business owners and I do live Q&As twice a month with it. And there was just only one person on the Q&A. So they pretty much got a full hour consulting, which is great for them. But he was asking me a lot of these questions of these types of things that come up on these TikTok videos of like, oh, do I need to set up a business trust? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do this? I'm like, oh God, no, none of this. Like, you don't need to do any of that. But it's, he's like, I've been doing research. He keeps saying over and over again, I've been doing research. I've been doing research. I've been doing research. He he wants to know. And I feel like accountants need to get more comfortable putting themselves out there because of that. Because people, I said, are hungry for this information and they want it and they will eat it up all day long. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think auditors particularly struggle with this because of their independence requirement, right? If I give mm-hmm. you advice, I can't audit your financial statement, you know, <laughs> all of this kind of thing. And, you know, I understand uh, regulations and why they're in place and all of those things, but um, someone needs to fill that void. Yep. Yeah. Right? And well, yeah. And I think most of us, though, aren't auditors, like most EAs, CPAs, like, I'm like, I don't even know if I know any auditors. Maybe I'm living in a bubble. You're my first auditor, I know, oh, prior auditor. There's a lot of them out there, let me tell you. <laughs> they're, but they're all busy working. That's why we never hear from them. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Yvonne, if people want to connect with you, where's the best place they can find you? Um, probably LinkedIn. I mean, I uh, most of what I do is, uh, you know, through referrals. Um, I also... Uh, try to post regularly to LinkedIn, just leadership watts. And so if you want to follow me on LinkedIn or message me there, I am happy to respond. Perfect. And so, I mean, right now it sounds like you work more with kind of the C-suite level. Are you ever going to produce or create educational content for more the general consumption? Or are you just going to kind of keep at that high consulting level? Well, what I would tell you is the thing... No, I, I'm open to working with anyone who could benefit from my, mm-hmm. my experience. But as it relates to what I post on LinkedIn, it's really business sense, okay? And it does tend to have a leadership bent to it, but the reality is people think of C-suite people or partners or what have you as designated leaders. The reality yeah. is we're all leaders in different situations. And so I, I'm a firm believer that anybody in business can benefit from leadership lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if nothing else, you want to understand where your leader is coming from, right? You need to educate yourself on that. So, you know, I, I promote, I hope, my hope is when I post something to, to LinkedIn that people will comment on it. Not because I want to comment. But because it would get a dialogue going, right? Yes. People have disagreed with me. Great. You know, disagree. Let's talk about it. There are people who agree with me or they add more depth to the conversation. You know, and I'll respond and say, I'm really glad you brought up that point. But more often than not, people just, they get in the habit of just, I like it. I like it. I like it, which is nice, right? (laughs) Um, But if they share it, the whole point is you're then spreading the word. Yeah. that you think this is a relevant message for. It's not always the same people, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I just encourage people that do go on LinkedIn, if they're following someone like me, that they give some thought to, well, is there anything more to add to this dialogue? Mm-hmm. Right? The richness doesn't just come from me saying something. It comes from hearing different perspectives. Yes. One thing my one of my business partners always says, he says... One plus one, when you're interacting and communicating with another person, one plus one is not two. One plus one is eight. Okay. You you compound what's happening exponentially. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was such a fun talk. And there's some great tidbits, snippets, audio that I'm sure producer Zach will put in there. But I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you very much. I appreciate you having me on. And thank you to everyone for listening. See you next time.